Well, good evening, Viva Albertos. It is Wednesday night. The Cardinals have made uh, several large moves over the last few days. We're here to start uh, talking about two of them. Started on Friday with a non-tender deadline. We found out that Andrew Kisner and Jake Woodbrick, Woodbrick, Woodbrick? What the world is a Woodbrick? <laughs> Jake Woodford. Uh, that's my way of uh, saying, I used to say, as a lot of you guys know, Jake Westbrook on the side. I finally corrected that, but now apparently I still can't say Jake Woodford. But Andrew Kisner, Jake Woodford, and Dakota Hudson are gone, along with Juan Yepes. And then turned around right after Aaron Nola signed back with the Phillies and brought in their version of that move, which was Lance Lynn on Monday. And if you didn't see the news yet, Kyle Gibson here on Tuesday. We are recording Tuesday evening. This will publish Wednesday morning, just in time for your Thanksgiving holiday travels. So you can listen to us rant and rave and probably by the end, come out feeling good because we always want to leave you with some optimism, especially on a holiday. With that, I bring on our most optimistic member. That is Blake Newberry. How's it going, Blake? going well it's nice kind of to have some baseball news back in my life so at least there's that we do have news i mean that i'll give the cardinals that they gave us something to talk about around the thanksgiving tables except for politics so uh you got big plans for this thursday blake not a whole lot gonna bounce between my my parents and then my wife's parents for the two days so it'll be busy but it'll be fun yeah yeah and then with us, back with us after a case of the general manager meeting flu. I don't know if that's the case or not, <laughs> but back with us is Adam Akbani. How's it going, Adam? I'm doing well, man. I'm just kind of excited now to see if you guys have mentioned just to look over these new moves, talk about what's going on with them and, you know, see use for the future and hopefully they continue to make signings. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Adam, you, if I'm correct, you have graduated from WashU. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah. We toured WashU a couple of weeks ago. Incredible campus, incredible teachers, incredible dorms. Did you live in the dorms all four years? And if you didn't, why the heck not, man? Those are amazing. <laughs> well, so the first two years I did, yeah. and then they said for junior year, they're reserving all the dorms for the undergraduates for COVID because they had to space everyone out. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I had a I had an apartment with my friends anyway, and then I did this. I stayed with them senior year too. So, yeah. So off campus last couple of years, first two years, it's kind of good to stay on campus though, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great place, Washu. Was really impressed with it. So that's not baseball talk, though. Let's forget about that. Let's jump into the moves that have happened over the last few days. Starting with, let's see, are we feeling optimistic or we're we feeling pessimistic? Are we feeling uh Kyle Gibson or are we feeling Lance Lynn? We'll probably end up talking about both, but we'll go with the first signing, and that is Lance Lynn. Now, Blake, you wrote about him on the site, I think just this morning it published. And so tell me what should I like? about Lance Lynn returning to the Cardinals. I mean, he was not my preferred signing, um, but I will say he gave up home runs at basically a batting practice rate last year, and or I guess this year. Um, and I don't think that that's likely to continue, if only for the fact that it's such an extremely high, almost outlier home run rate that he gave up, that it's kind of hard to believe that he can even match that again. Um, I mean, I... On the on my article this morning, I kind of totaled the last twenty five instances of of a pitcher giving up a home run on like that high of a rate of his fly balls. The home run per fly ball rate dropped like five percent the next year. 
So granted, it's not exactly one-to-one comparison, but you're looking at pitchers who were 28, 32, et cetera, and Landslide's going to be 37 and has already seen his velocity decline. So it's not necessarily guaranteed that it's going to drop, but I just find it hard to believe that he's going to give up as many home runs again next year as he did this past year. Um, and I do think there are some Arsenal tweaks you can make too to kind of help with that. Yeah. So let's talk about the home runs for a second. We don't have, I mean, we've got huge news. We don't have a ton of content to race through tonight. So we can live on Lance Lynn and live on Kyle Gibson for a while. So his home run for per fly ball rate was high, 19%. I mean, I think that that is, that is a, an unusually high rate. I will say though, that it has been climbing uh, 2019 a uh, home run for per fly ball rate of 9.9 2020. Now that's a short year, COVID year, 13.8. The next year, 10.2, 14.0, That is a trend with an outlier at the end of it when the pitcher is also at his oldest age. And if we know anything about pitcher aging curves, what we know is that Ks and velocity start dipping like this, especially for starters. And home runs and walks start going like this. And 19%, I would agree, is high. But at the same time, why should we expect anything like, you know, the 10% or the 9% that we saw two or three years ago? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard. Like, it's it's easy to see the trend there. And that's why I'm not entirely confident that, that Lynn's strikeout or home run rate is even going to come down. Like, I, ideally, it would. And, and I mean mathematically speaking with zero context you would think it would but um it's not guaranteed and i i will say i do think a lot of that's going to come down to command for lynn because as his as his velocity has declined it's become a lot more more susceptible to just getting crushed so when he leaves his fastballs inside or over the middle of the plate they just get obliterated so it's all just going to be can he live on the outside and can are his mistakes going to get crushed yeah. And that's really not a, a great recipe. So tell me about his arsenal right now, because it seems like in me looking at it, he was, he was uh, almost almost a one type pitch pitcher because you kind of have a fastball, a sinker and a cutter, uh, which are all the same pitch type. And then like what? What's his uh, occasional curve? Yeah, he's got he a curve to, in there and started with a slider. I think it became a curve, um, you know, later. So, yeah, I mean, we're looking at a one type pitcher. I mean, and that's actually the interesting thing with Lynn is when you look at a pitcher whose fastball velocity is declining and whose fastballs got crushed, he also throws fastballs or at least fastball variations about 80% of the time. So yeah. it's again, it's not really a great combination there, but it's at least important to, to differentiate between four seamers, sinkers, and cutters because while they are all are fastballs, they're all they all move differently and give the hitter a different look. Okay. So um the cutter, at least, is which I actually found interesting, has not lost velocity. It's the four-seamer and the sinker have. The cutter has just maintained where it's at. So I think that's really going to be the pitch that he needs to use to get inside on hitters. And he's just going to have to hope his, his fastballs don't get crushed. Um, and then he's got the – I will say the Dodgers actually, after they traded for him, added a sweeper to his arsenal. It, he threw it like 10 times. Yeah, uh, five, five pitches it shows here, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I would not be shocked to see him take a little bit of a Kyle Gibson turn and go, because Gibson developed a, a sweeper actually in 2022, barely threw it, and then threw it a lot in 2023. I don't think necessarily that Lynn's going to throw it a lot, but I wouldn't be shocked if that jumped up to about like 5 or 10% usage and just kind of gave him something that he could use against right-handed hitters and help just keep them off of the fastball a little bit. So that is something I would look for next year. I mean, beyond that, I would love to see him maybe get away from from the fastballs a little bit i know the dodgers kind of cut down his cutter usage and i want to see that return 
I think he really is going to have to live on that cutter next year or it's, or it's going to hurt. Yeah. Adam, jump in here, man. What are your initial thoughts on this? Yeah, no. So, you know, aside from kind of breaking down into his pitching, I'm, you know, I do like the fact that, you know, they're addressing the innings aspect that I know Jeff mentioned that it was an issue where, you know, they had to cover a lot of bodies for the, for the, uh, the pitching staff and it needed to acquire major league ready talent in the sense that, you know, a lot of the guys that have in triple are almost ready, but maybe not, you know, uh, capable of contributing on opening day in 2024. And I think that is true to a degree, but I did think that, you know, also that if you're a team like the Cardinals and your team, you're on the mid high budget range amongst MLB squads, uh, you know, $10 million means a lot. You don't have what is essentially an open checkbook and, you know, an infinite money glitch. If like you're, if you're Brian Cashman, or if you're, you know, if you're in the Dodgers or if you're the, the giants or the Red Sox, or maybe even the Cubs. Um, and it, for me, just to kind of see, you know, the spending $10 million on the kind of what we talked about internally on a guy who we feel that, you know, whose value can probably be accrued at least from the guys that are internal right now, even like, and we talked about it just now that there is some, the depth isn't too ready like as for opening day next year, but I still believe that I would take my chances with a guy like Zach Thompson or Matthew Libertor, or maybe even a couple of other guys who might be ready pretty soon after the season begins next year, instead of spending $10 million, which could have been absolutely spent on a guy like a Yoshinobu Yamamoto, um, a Blake Snell, Aaron Nola was out of the question before we even got to free agency. Um, or, you know, other guys are probably in between the uh, Al Gibson and uh, Lance Lentier and between the Yamamoto and the, you know, the top tier guys. So to, to see them kind of spend money on a guy like Lance Lynn when they're not a team that just has infinite budget, they can afford to just spend $10 million on a Lance Lynn just because they can. And it's a luxury. I don't think uh, most of and his squad have the luxury to do that. And I, I just worry about how this is going to affect their spending for an ace. And now, now with Kyle Gibson, it almost kind of makes it, worse in a sense that now you know they only have maybe 25 to 30 million which i mean if they go for that ace you know they still got some holes in the bullpen you know you could one could argue and it wouldn't hurt signing a, you know a couple of death relievers and it's going to cost more than what they have so yeah. i mean you could always see an increase in the budget that's totally possible maybe the way the proves of any uh going just a bit over for the sake of having to contend until away the pitching concerns but I still believe, I just still think that it's going to be a little bit tough to see, you know, I mean, maybe they still, maybe they still target that ace, but, you know, fingers crossed that this is obviously, they said it's not the final move, but maybe hopefully the final move is what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get into some more of that. I think there's a a lot of conversation there that I want to have about budgeting and about what they're going to do next. And I think, um, Moselec's comments were really interesting today at the press conference. I caught most of it uh in bits and pieces and and it took me a while to kind of get it to load it wasn't loading right which is a little bit annoying, but um so i kind of wonder what i missed in the middle but um you know he kind of kept implying and kept saying you know the offseason long offseason long offseason long offseason it's like well yeah but you've already, you've already made two starting moves so you're shortening it on purpose my friend um so we'll, we'll get to that but i was thinking about something you said there adam and i kind of wanted to ask you guys and react to it like like if we say which People on the side, I know some of you will agree or disagree with that. So set aside this disagreement for a second. If we say that Lance Lynn is replacement level or a little bit better, um, not a not a one and a half to three war pitcher, uh, that that might be fairly fair that a lot of us would agree with. 
Um, and so we say that, you know, Zach Thompson, maybe some of the other guys could could duplicate that level of production. I think what we're hearing from Mazalok today is that while some of those guys, he mentioned Grisepo as an as an example, not really pointing to Grisepo, but just saying, say if Grisepo, you know, were to contend and, and step forward in in spring training, what Grisepo couldn't provide, even if he provided the talent, is the innings. And so here's what I'm wondering from you guys, and this because it seems like the and we're hearing the Cardinals answer to this is a replacement or slightly better starter who's guaranteed to give you 175 to 200 innings at a replacement level or just better value. Is that better than three guys who will give you a replacement level or a little bit better production over 175 innings? Their answer to that question seems very clear to be, yes, this is better. One guy at replacement level or a little bit better for 188 innings is significantly better and worth $10 million more than these three guys who would do exactly the same thing. Well, hold on. I want to, I want to make sure I understand you quick, uh, a little bit better because when you say uh, Wait, that five minute pitcher, diatribe, you didn't understand what I just well, said. <laughs> well, well, just, just to kind of understand, because when you say a pitcher who is off, what, when you say a guy who's throwing 180 innings and when you say at replacement level, that's a zero more pitcher. Yeah. So, well, like I'm what, just saying so that's... replacement level or better. Let's say that we let's say that we're saying that Lance Lynn is a zero to one and a half war pitcher next year, and we think that okay. he's going to give us about 180 innings. That's okay. something that say Graceffo or Robersi or some of these guys are probably dupli- able to duplicate on a mm-hmm. on like a war per inning pitch basis. But there's no way that Roberta is going to come in and give you 180 innings. No way Graceffo is going to give you 180 innings. So it would take an aggregate of starters to get close to mm-hmm. that production level here versus it's worth a $10 million investment over here to get the one guy who can do it, despite it being the same level of production. Yeah, and, and at least for me, um, I see what you're saying, JP. And, and honestly, I feel like I would rather just cycle the guys in and see who can step up because some guy's going to take the role and run with it, whether it's Liberator, uh, Graceffo down the line, uh, McGreevy, um, maybe like Tinkens, like I said later, but someone is like Graceffo. Someone, someone's going to take that spot and run with it. Zach Thompson, there's plenty of guys. And I think like they're going to figure that out eventually at some point in the season. And I think you're going to see like if that were if obviously if they hadn't signed Lynn, <clears throat> I think it would have been perfect. They would have just rolled with that and they would have seen that cost benefit analysis kind of like play out down the road where they're saving that 10 million. And who knows if they spent that 10 million now, or if they even have that later fixed into the budget, the deadline where they can go and acquire a win now piece in gen- on July 31st, 2024, if they're kind of in that situation come deadline next year. But you know, unfortunately they didn't. And I just feel like they could have just swiveled guys in and out and someone would have taken a spot and run with it. So I'll play I'll play the devil's advocate on that because I'm actually so I'll start with I probably have Lynn pegged for about one to one point five war this year. And a lot of that's gonna be innings driven as we talked about. Yeah. I'm not sure the Cardinals have that production in any of their pitchers, not named Zach Thompson. I'm pretty sure Zach Thompson could get them there, but having Zach Thompson as your fifth starter and then nobody behind him means that that rotation is gonna go down in flames pretty quickly. So when I look at guys like Matthew Liberator or Michael McGreevy or Gordon Graceffo or whatever, Reversa, Kloppenstein, all of them have issues that they need to fix before they're going to be even somewhat reliable MLB starters. I mean, we've talked about the issues that Levy's had for years at the site. Graceffo's got an issue with his fastball shape. McGreevy's stuff just isn't that good. 
like every single pitcher is going to have issues there. So I think the value of Lynn is that he adds certainty. It might not be even good certainty, but it adds a level of certainty where you know he's going to take the ball and he might give up four runs every six innings. Maybe not great. But when you have a guy like he's going to put you at about one to 1.5 war. If we think about it, like we're cycling through players, let's say we start with Liberator or Liberator. <clears throat> Yeah, that's I'm looking at now. go ahead. I've, so I've, if, if Liberator starts five games and puts up negative 0.3 war, you filter him out. You put in whoever you want next, Graceffo, whatever. Let's say they put up negative 0.3 war. By the time it takes you to find somebody, you've already, he has to make up ground to even get back into zero war territory. So I'm, again, playing devil's advocate on something, on a move that I'm not even sure I agree with. Um, but I can at least see the sense in that of not wanting to risk it with a bunch of prospects who aren't ready, hoping that you eventually find one that is. Yeah, like I'm looking at Libertor. Now, the problem with Libertor's projections, one is that I'm not a huge fan of Steamer. It's just the Steamer projections is all we have right now. Like if we had Zips out there, I would be way more comfortable talking about it. So disclaimer, I don't really like Steamer. Steamer is what we have. Steamer is what I'm using. So Steamer has um, Libertor. I'm just going to use some selected stats. I'm not trying to be selective on purpose. It's just... Because I don't trust all the stats I'm just choosing here. Steamer has Libertor at 120 innings pitched and a 453 ERA for a 1.1 F war. That's pretty much what he did That's last good. year. Um, 61 innings pitched in the majors, 64 in triple A. So that's 125 total. He could ramp up to 150. Uh, 428 ERA in um mlb uh level now that's only an 11 starts I'm, i just don't know what his fip was before he moved to the bullpen and how much it would have dropped but i'm pretty sure that his fip was lower than his era yeah even, so i actually have um, it up here his his fit was four or his fit was 440 as a starter yeah. his actually was 526 so yeah. it's it's not it's not pretty and a lot of that war came from his time in the bullpen yeah yeah so I just kind of uh, leave that kind of wondering. It's like, well, I, I know that Lynn's production on Steamer is going to be higher than that because Steamer is going to factor in his previous history quite a bit. And that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm personally not a believer that once you get to this age that your previous history at age 33 and 34 should matter that much because you're you're 37 now. But I bet that Steamer, I bet that Lance Lynn's real production could be in that same range as Libertor. Um, but actually, they you know, so so is it worth ten million to have Libertor in the bullpen so that Lynn can start instead mm, with a collapse value? I don't know. Maybe Libertor and Lynn have the same collapse rate. To be honest, you know, because what we saw from Libertor so far and what we're expecting from Lynn, neither are that promising. Um, just to get in about Libertor, um, he had eleven starts and uh, his total point eight WAR for the season, point seven came in from the rotation, actually not from the bullpen. He had 11 starts and, you know, 49 innings. And, you know, Fangraphs likes to take advantage of the fact that, you know, they they weigh heavily that you keep the ball in the ballpark and, you know, yeah. walk hitters for as few strikeouts as uh, Libertor does get. Um, there is a lot of value, you know, keeping the ball on the ground or, you know, at least at a lower launch angle on average. And, you know, this came from – it was actually from the rotation. So, you know, if you give him the time, you know, to settle into a game, he gets and he gets there and you know, as, as he continues to churn through innings, you know that if you prorate that, that's just under 150 innings for a guy who's essentially in his rookie season. Um, obviously, you probably wouldn't be doing that over the course of a full year, being a two WAR starter. But if Matthew Libertor, if you get even get instead of two WAR, if you get a one WAR out of Matthew Libertor as a six starter, 
you know, over the course of, you know, 80, 90, 100 innings, presuming that he gets better next year. I think that's a luxury, right? Especially at a cost control. And that's why I'm saying, you know, if you're having a guy like Lance Lynn, who's potentially going to be your fourth or fifth, maybe even sixth guy, which I don't even think they need a fourth or fifth guy for these very reasons. I really do like the fact that Seth Thompson was, you know, he did provide, a, it was, you know, in nine starts and 45 innings was, you know, striking out a lot of hitters and would, you know, it did allow some home runs, but at the end of the day, he was almost a one more pitcher, not even throwing 50 innings. So at worst, you have a really, really, you have a decent, like high leverage reliever. And I think this is a guy who could probably be a fifth star in the rotation. You know, if you have a two war pitcher as your fifth guy, you're dealing well, assuming that everyone else is better. And that's the problem because, you know, you don't have, you just have a bunch of two war guys who are going to be filling the rotation. And at least so far, and not a top end guy, hopefully, fingers crossed, they attack that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what it boils down to is that Lynn is this club's fifth starter and that if, if something goes wrong, you know, they're going to have some level of, of affinity to them, but we're probably not talking about Wainwright levels of affinity. You know, they're probably not going to live and die by Lance Lynn. And so if Graceppo or Libertor or, um, you know, Thompson, I think Thompson would be the best candidate if he really shows out in spring and and Lynn is still walking guys and can't keep the ball in the ballpark. There could be a shuffle there, um, but it's a ten million dollar shuffle. So and that is, as you said, out of money that could have gone somewhere else. Speaking of somewhere else, I think it's time for us to move on to a deal that I think both of us, all of us, liked a little bit better. Um, probably would like it pretty well in a vacuum, but you couple it with the Lance Lynn signing and you start filling up the rotation with guys that are just sort of you know, okay-ish, and that's Kyle Gibson, who uh, I would guess most on the side and most of our readers are not as familiar with Kyle Gibson as they are Lance Lynn, seeing as Lance Lynn was drafted and developed and came up as a starter with the Cardinals during one of the best eras of Cardinals baseball in recent history. And uh, all Kyle Gibson did was play baseball at Mizzou and grew up in Indiana. So he's got some history in the area. And Mo was not uh, shy about indicating that was a factor in his returning home. And so Kyle Gibson is here, and he's been a fairly decent start. He's got 20.7 career war. If you would have asked me what his career war was today, I would not have guessed that it was over 20, but it is. He's got multiple 2.5 war seasons in his past, his highest 3.1 last year and 192 innings, which is a rare number of innings these days. Uh, for Baltimore, Gibson produced 2.6 war with a, let's just say the FIP because it's so much more optimistic, with a 4.13 FIP to go along with a 4.73 ERA. Um, it's odd that we have a couple starters here whose ERAs and FIPs are so flipped, and I do wonder if that factored into the Cardinals' thinking at all. But Kyle Gibson, um, any reactions to this guy from, from either of you? Any of you looked at his stats very deeply? I've got some things that I'll share in a minute, but I thought I'd open the floor to you guys first. Yeah, I mean, I think the Kyle Gibson signing was, you you mentioned it, like, it was fine in a vacuum. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not really a huge fan of the pairing with Lance Lynn. And in fact, in the Lance Lynn article that I literally wrote for this morning, I mentioned that there's no way Lance Lynn is the second best starter this team brings in. So as long as they bring in two starters that are, like, actually good ahead of him, then I'll be content. And they brought in, I guess Kyle Gibson is better than Lance Lynn. I would say, yeah. If you're going to have a Lance Lynn signing, I feel like you need to bring in pitchers that are significantly better. So I would much rather Gibson have been the Lance Lynn signing yeah. with yeah. more upside coming in 100%. the other way, and then then I'm fine with it. 
now I feel like the, the rotation is almost too bottom heavy. And even if they go out and they have the money to go get a, a top guy, be it Glasnow, Yamamoto, whatever, whoever fill in the blank, it's still going to be a one, a big drop off. And then like a three, four guy and a bunch of fours and fives after that. So it's just not the ideal rotation. Yeah. Adam. Yeah, no, I, for me, like, I think you, like you said it best is that if Yammer and Yamamoto, if uh, Gibson was the Lance Lynn signing and was, you know, the depth guy that they were kind of not, maybe the depth, not, not the depth guy, but I guess the insurance policy in case a, you know, Steven Matz goes down or, you know, he would fill in that fourth or the fifth, in the fifth spot, but, you know, to, to be spending as much as they already have you know, when they spend on Lance Lynn and then to continue spending another 12 million on uh, Kyle Gibson, that raises red flags as to, you know, oh, are they going to be having enough money to go drop on 25 million or more on a Snell or Yamamoto or maybe even a 20 million on a Marcus Stroman or, you know, someone else probably who is as a better chance of being, you know, the two or three guy in the rotation and, you know, taking advantage of you know, taking those reins and running with it because, you know, if Miles Michaelis is your ace opening day, followed by Kyle Gibson, followed by uh, Lance Lynn, followed by Steven Matz, followed by, you know, your aggregate of guys that I've talked about, that's not a good thing, right? We're going to be, you know, if I just really hope that, you know, with the remaining budget that we had, that the Cardinals have, and, you know, JP, you mentioned it's around 25 to 50, $30 million. I'm hoping, you know, at this point, I think you kind of have to go all in on the ace. And, you know, if, even if it means you can't really attack the, the bullpen as well, I think you kind of bite the bullet at the beginning of the year and see how it works out. And, you know, cause you really, really do have to make sure that you're getting quality innings instead of just guys who are going to go out there and, you know, kind of just be the Chad innings eaters instead of kind of going out there and, you know, getting strikeouts and whiffs at a high rate. So yeah. they still haven't gotten that high strikeout guy. There's still guys out there with Snell and Yamamoto to a degree, but so far shaky, but, you know, and Mo said in his presser that, you know, they're, he emphasized that they're not done and he made that clear. So, Hopefully we can take him at his word and that they're going to be there's going to be a larger domino to fall in the favor of the Cardinals. Yeah. Let's take that motif you just mentioned because I think this is very relevant in understanding who Kyle Gibson is. I'm sure a lot of you didn't watch Baltimore pitching or Minnesota pitching before that. So who who is Kyle Gibson? Well, well, Mo talked about um wanting or needing the necessity of changing their organizational philosophy when it comes to developing and acquiring pitching. And the, the key words there that either he used multiple times or the media latched onto, sometimes it's either or both of those things, is swing and miss. Swing and miss, swing and miss. Now, we on the site, we interpret that as K percentage and whiff percentage, which is basically our key metrics for measuring those things. By the way, do never, do not use, I love you all guys, everyone out there, do not use K per nine, okay? Like, I know it's on the Fangraphs dashboard and I would pay Fangraphs money to remove it from their dashboard and it's super easy just to find it but k per nine especially like lance lynn as a case study and why k per nine should not be used k per nine all it tells you is the number of strikeouts that a pitcher has relative to nine innings pitch well if they can't get guys out in any other way then a lot of their k per nines are going to be higher but their k rate could still be really low and and Lynn's is not super low, but I, I've heard several times today about how Lynn is a, you know, a strikeout guy because he has nearly a strikeout per inning pitch. Well, his K percentage is like 23% doing this off the top of my head. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. 
like 23%, which is probably right at league average. Okay. His K per nine is looks like it's been improving like this year over last year. It's just because he had a lot more base runners, a lot more guys on base and his innings went a lot farther and it didn't get out guys other ways. So it was basically all K's or nothing, but overall his K rate fell. And so K percentage, not K per nine, you'll be happier in life. And I just want you to be happy in life. Friends, that's all I want. I just want you to be happy in life. Speaking of happy in life, all Kyle Gibson does is not strike out guys, despite a new sleeper looks really good, uh, and not make guys whiff, although he's not terrible at whiffs, not great at Ks, not terrible at whiffs, about average in whiffs, about 23 percentile in K rate. I do have these. He doesn't walk anyone, and he gives up a ton of ground balls. Kyle Gibson is essentially Miles Miklas, for all intents and purposes. A pretty poor fastball, pretty good breaking pitch. Now, Miles is a, is an off-speed pitch, if I remember correctly, but he is exactly the kind of pitcher that the Cardinals have targeted. He does not in any way fit the new pitch to, uh, you know, pitch to swing and miss stuff kind of guy that they said they were targeting, and he's just another one of those kind of guys, which doesn't make him a bad pitcher. It just makes him a very comfortable pitcher for the Cardinals and one that plays well in Bush Stadium that doesn't give up a lot of home runs. And should play good with a good defense, but yet to be determined whether the Cardinals have a good infield and outfield defense. So there's Kyle Gibson. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because, like, you're right about the the swing and miss. I came in actually expecting the Cardinals to sign pitchers that strike people out, and they just really haven't. No, uh, but that doesn't make me down on Gibson at all. At no. least, like, yeah, and I I know you mentioned it, and like Gibson at least feels like the guy who ages very well. Yeah, because he has multiple plans of attacks for hitters. He gives them different looks. He throws like seven, six different pitches and doesn't do any of them more than like 30% of the time. His velocity's dropped a little bit, but it stayed the same from last year and he was still effective after it dropped. Like he still, it feels like he can still maintain that solid back end production. It's just going to be a really boring bland, takes the ball every day, puts up like two war maybe, and, and that's the season. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, the way I would say it, to borrow from our friends Ben and Ben over at Cardinals Off Day, former former VEB writers, they talked about Stephen Matz being like Dr. Thunder to Marcus Stroman's Dr. Pepper. Well, this what's lower than Dr. Thunder? Like, <laughs> that's where that's where we are with uh, <laughs> with Kyle Gibson, because even Matz gets swing and miss a little bit. And, and Gibson just really, really doesn't. So. Now I want to know what would be lower than Dr. Thunder. Like, is there Sam's choice, Dr. Pepper, pepper, something like that that you can get. Like his version of of Doctor. They have pepper. best cola. They have best cola at Deerbrook, don't they? Best, best is I don't know. Best is pretty <laughs> awesome. I'm not sure that that Kyle Gibson is off enough, awesome enough to be best. So, <laughs> all right. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I guess you know at 12 million versus 10 million, you know Gibson. Uh, I, I think that we can be a little bit optimistic about Kyle Gibson. 2.6 war is hard to ignore. I mean, that's that's not a bad war total. I don't think that I had very many number three starters in my master plan list that really were looking at a 2.6 war or better projection. And so if that being the case as the number, whatever he is, starter, um, not too bad. Now, my problem with it is that if I'm going to push Miles Miklas down pretty low, because I think Miklas is on the downside of his career uh, and he's sliding down fairly rapidly, um, then, you know, Kyle Gibson could be your number two and that worked for Baltimore last year, but not really what I want for the Cardinals this year. 
Yeah, it's not. And I actually think it's kind of interesting that there's only a $2 million difference between Lynn and, and Gibson because in terms of production and, and security, I would I would value Gibson much higher, but I guess $10 million <clears throat> is what it takes to get to the starting pitching table. So yeah, they probably had to overpay a bit for Lynn. If they they might have. Yeah, it seems like $10 million is just like a baseline for someone who has a yeah. name that's once good. Yeah, so. I almost feel like now that they've committed $22 million to these two guys, it almost feels like, you know, if they still want to address the bullpen simultaneously, maybe other make other miscellaneous signings, maybe to address the bench at some point. I don't know. Um, I think they're probably going to be acquiring their top end guy via trade, just because I feel like, you know, they're still going to be spending maybe five to $10 million on your bullpen. That kind of leaves you short on the free agency pitching market for the top 10, the top tier guys, maybe by a few million dollars. And, you know, like I said earlier, you know, DeWitt could approve of that extra spending, you know, if it's only a little bit. But I think if, if he has a concrete budget, which that is kind of his history, I feel since the Cardinals have been somewhat reluctant to spend, I would feel that DeWitt is more of a guy who is more economical. Uh, I think that Moses Zaylock and his team are probably going to be, you know, forced to tr- uh, maybe for trade for a guy like a Dylan Cease or a Logan Gilbert of the type or, you know, maybe someone else, but I, I just feel like this kind of pushes the needle a little bit more to, you know, maybe being a, making a trade instead of probably, I think, I think they're the, if I had to take a guess, I think they're probably done with the free agency market looking for big guys. And I think the big, that doesn't mean the big guy isn't going to come. I just think that's going to happen via trade instead of the, the free agency market. I think that's just a little bit more likely at this point. Yeah. It's just, I mean, we've all said it from day one that we, we feel like there's gotta be a trade in here. Both because yeah. of the finances of of the situation, you trade for a pitcher, they're going to be cheaper, generally speaking, and and you know the situation on the on the forty man roster and the twenty six man roster, they still got Carlson, they still got O'Neill, they still got Burleson, um, you know they've got to find a place for Edmund to play, they got to find a place for Donovan to play. It's just begging for a trade of some kind. Now, I personally would prefer to keep as many of those pieces as we can, but I don't really have any problem with trading one of them, like trading O'Neill. You still got a fine outfield training Donovan. You know, you've still got Edmund, you still got Gorman, you've still got uh, fine options on the infield. It's just a matter of picking and choosing which one of those would give you the best return. Um, but I think there's some question there. In fact, we'll jump back to the budget here in a minute. Let's just go ahead and talk about what we see next. And I thought one of the interesting things that happened at the at the non-tender deadline was that the the Mariners traded for let's see if I can come up with the name because I hadn't even thought about this. Was it Luis Urias? Urias? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, a weak hitting middle infield shortstop second base kind of option with a basically two and a half war history had a down year last year. Um, basically, and not exactly the same kind of player, but very similar to uh, Brendan Donovan as a player type. Walks quite a bit. Doesn't have a ton of power, but but fits that fits that mold. And so when that came down, I mean, it's not going to necessarily stop them, but it, it did kind of indicate to me that Seattle's interest in someone like Brendan Donovan would be a lot lower than it would have been before. They like that kind of player more than they like, like pure how, power hitting types. And so Donovan looked like a really attractive option to the Mariners. Well, that might not be the case anymore. They've got a Donovan. So, you know, you'd start taking some of the Mariners pitchers out of it then that stops being as attractive of an option. The White Sox, meanwhile, said basically they're open for business. And that, that's as I said on Twitter or the side or somewhere, that's like ringing the dinner bell for Mo. He's like, are you open for business? I, I want your best players. And so you could consider Luis Robert in that. I don't think that's very likely considering the outfield situation. But if they're trading players, I'd, I'd take them. 
And then circling back around to Dylan Cease, but Dylan Cease, I still think is going to require more than what the Cardinals want to give up. And yeah, you would get a nice uh, under team control, younger starter to lock in there for two years. Um, but I think it would start you, you know, now that you can't trade Herrera as you, you got rid of Kisner, a move I supported, but it takes Herrera off the table. You're looking at Kisner. I'm sorry, not looking at Kisner. You're looking at Gorman or bust probably uh, in a trade for uh, cease. And I just don't really think that's what the Cardinals should do. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, just, I, I don't think that takes them off of the pitching market. Like for a guy like Dylan Cease, obviously because they need it. And, you know, we mentioned this before, if that means trading a guy like Mason Wynn, I wouldn't be opposed to that just because, you know, like I, you know, Mason Wynn for now is the Cardinals shortstop of the future, right. For at least for the next four to five years, you know, considering, you know, all things hold constant, even if he's a league average bat, he's still going to be a good enough defender and a good enough base runner to probably be at least a two war shortstop. I just think that they could do better, you know, you know, trying to do something differently, you know, with internal development or maybe make a free agent signing maybe in the year past or in the future. But I think as it is now, we kind of have to focus on looking if you're going to be acquiring an ace. And if you use a guy like Dylan Cease or you're trying to get a guy like Dylan Cease, you want to keep guys who you know who are already providing a lot of value in the major leagues. So if you got Brennan Donovan, if you've got uh, Nolan Gorman, who are potential, you know, all stars down the road, I think that makes it kind of you should it begs the question if you look at a guy like Tommy Edmond or Dylan Carlson or a Tyler O'Neill, that would be probably uh, more optimal trade shifts just because they're towards the end of, you know, their team control years. And aside from Tyler O'Neill, you know, and maybe, you know, obviously Tommy Evan was really good as a utility guy. He's not the offensive force you're really looking for. And if it means getting a guy at the top of the rotation, like you have needed for a couple of years now, I would pull the trigger. And even if like, you know, with Mason, when I just think that you can probably find the value elsewhere, you can, you know, swivel guys around and figure it out some way. I just, I like the bat of Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman so much the fact where I'm okay, you know, trading Mason went away just because you value that offensive production so much more. Yeah. And that's a fair point. And this is actually where I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Cardinals do next, because as of now, they've had a really risk averse offseason. but if they want to get a top pitcher, they're going to have to assume some kind of risk. So is that risk going to be financial or is it going to be in the terms of players? Because that's yeah. going to determine if they go for a guy like a Blake Snell, Sonny Gray, or Yamamoto, or if they're going to try to trade for a Dylan Cease, a Tyler Glasnow, et cetera. Um, I actually am – I was a little hesitant about Glasnow at first because of the injury issues. But if the Cardinals are going to go out and get like 360 innings of back-end starters, I'm a little more open to the idea of training for Glasnow now. Exactly. Glasnow yeah. You're, 100%. you're not going to completely fall apart, even if you yeah. lose all of your upside. Yeah. And Glasnow probably doesn't take a whole lot. Like, we're probably not talking about Mason Wynn, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, to trade for Glasnow. It's yeah. probably more about Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson, Tyler O'Neill. Those players all have, have varying degrees of interest, I'm sure. But that is something that feels like it's almost the right blend of, of risk for the Cardinals because they're not assuming that much financial risk or risk in terms of trading young players. I just don't think they're going to do it if they have if they're placing such a premium on injuries. So I would oh on injuries oh, on innings on, on, on innings. Okay, yeah. see because the way that I was thinking about it this afternoon, I I agree with you. But if you if you're concerned about taking a risk in one area, right? What do you do? You shore up that area in another way. And so if you're concerned about uh, if you ignore the qualifying offer for a second, you take Blake Snell out of the table, right? Like, cause Snell would have the same type of issue, but he would have that, that qualifying offer attached. If you ignore that for a second, then you start looking at Glasnow as a, as a legit ace 
who could put things together and finally be healthy and finally be productive. Um, but you've got to mitigate the innings. Well, the Cardinals did that. They mitigated the innings concern. They've, they've got that in spades. Um, that's basically all they have. They don't have production, but they've got innings, right? So, so get that production, you know, go and get that glass now and, and, and trade from your middle tier of trade options. So you don't have to get up into your real talent. Like you said, uh, like I would, I would do a Carl in this scenario. I hate to do a, a lot of years for one year, but I do Carlson or glass now. And I think that's just an overpay from our side of things, considering Glasnow's actual value and actual production and actual projections versus his ceiling, which he's never hit. Right. So, you know, I would do a Carlson for Glasnow just to clean the roster up and and make things sort of a ride and have that ace there with the hope that Glasnow proved healthy and I could resign him for four or five years. Now, it'd be a risky resigning, but. The, the problem Glass now offers is is the one that they've mitigated, which makes me think that that's the way they're leaning, except I still think they're going to try everything they can do to get Yamamoto first. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. Um, and it's interesting. Mo put a lot of emphasis on trying to cover 162 games in 187 days or whatever his quote was yeah, and that exactly about right. having innings in hand and, and whatnot. So I'm curious to see now if if that only applies to the two signings that they've already made or if that is a general rule going forward. Yeah, because that that really is is what we need to know. Yeah, because otherwise it's gray. If that's what their concern is, then their choice yeah. is gray and that's about <clears> it. And uh, which is, I think, just think it's a not that Gray is a bad pitcher, but considering who you got signing Gray now doesn't make any sense at all. No, Gray actually, I think, of all the pitchers that they could get, makes the least sense now. Yeah, like because he's not the high end guy that they could be targeting, so he doesn't give them that ceiling. But then he also costs a draft pick for the future if the Cardinals are yeah. wanting to plan for it. Like if we're gonna, that's that feels like the worst move that they could make right now. Yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah. So, so the other option here, I mean, depending on Glass now, like, like Mo did say that he wasn't looking that hard at trades. I don't really believe him when he said that, but he did. I mean, who knows? It's still early in the offseason, and they've been focused on the free agent market in Yamamoto. So maybe he just literally means right now we haven't been focused on the trades because we signed these two other arms. So I still think that some of these moves, these roster cleanup moves, like O'Neill, Burleson, um, Probably that's as far down as I'd go. There's other guys down in the minors that I could mention. Um, but, you know, I still think that they're interested in improving this bullpen too. And some roster cleanup moves to acquire some quality bullpen pieces make a lot of sense. I think it's underselling. It definitely been underselling something like Carlson. It's probably about what you could expect from O'Neill. Um, but I could see at this point, for example, I would... I could see the Cardinals using O'Neill to acquire a bullpen piece or two rather than them using O'Neill to acquire Alec Manoa, for example, which is a, a player that they've talked about. Someone like Alec Manoa, in my opinion, at this point, doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, he doesn't. And if the Cardinals are going to trade for Manoa, I mean, I feel like his floor is like Lance Lynn. Yeah. It's probably lower than that because he was actually terrible last year. But like, if they want to try to find that back end, maybe swing guy, they could have traded for Manoa and he would also be on a super cheap contract, which would have freed up money to spend elsewhere. So I feel like the Lynn signing almost takes them out of the Manoa, the, the Manoa race doesn't really make a lot of sense now. Yeah. I put a lot of, I put a lot of balance there too. And I almost wonder what the, what the blue Jays were demanding because the last couple of trade, I mean, they did, they did make a trade with the blue Jays at the deadline, but in the winter they were looking at Danny Jansen and, and at least another one of their catchers there in Toronto and the demands they felt like were, were crazy high. So I'm wondering again, if Toronto isn't making really high demands for one of their pitchers and Mo's just like, no, no, not going to, not going to deal that with you. 
Yeah, well, they probably are because they're not going to want to sell low on a guy who was a Cy Young candidate. No, why should they? Why should they? Why yeah, should they? So, yeah. And no team is going to assume a pitcher like Manoa who has so much risk for the price that the Blue Jays want to pay. So it just doesn't even seem likely that he's even going to get traded. Regardless, yeah. of whether or not that's we can hit, we can sit here and say that Manoa for O'Neill is a good deal, and Toronto could be like, I don't care if it's a good deal or not. I want Carlson or I want Herrera or I want Gorman. That's it. You know, that's happened to the Cardinals before, and it might be happening again, which is a good thing. I really didn't want Manoa anyway, so uh, I don't really care. I mean, I want to be opposed to maybe acquiring an Alec Manoa if it was, you know, if you're still trying to acquire a guy who can still have, you know, number two or three a starter or number two or three starter potential, you know, and he still got team control. And, you know, he did show that, you know, even though he got shelled in that FCL stint when he got sent back down, you know, he still rebounded to a degree and he was, you know, I think he can still come back and at least be not, not a shell of himself, but if he's still a three guy, that's still not bad. If he's a three war pitcher over the course of the next couple of years, and especially if he's cost controlled, you know, maybe you don't get your number, you know, your four or five war pitcher, but if you're getting three war for, you know, giving up Dylan Carlson, who's not going to be playing. Hopefully I, I wouldn't play Dylan Carlson four or 500 PAs next year, given how bad he is against right-handed pitching. You know, that allows you to maybe keep a Tyler O'Neill. And if, you know, if Carlson ends up being the guy traded for a guy like Manoa, you know, you're taking a little bit of a risk. And then, you know, you still have money to spend and you still get another guy who potentially could be, you know, a two or three guy, you know, if he does, if all goes to plan. But, you know, I, like Blake mentioned, that isn't probably, if, if I'm the GM of the uh, the Blue Jays, if it's Arth- Alex Arthanopoulos, I don't forget his name is, but uh, if I'm him, I'm probably not making that deal just because I'm not allowing a team to buy low on a guy like Alec Manoa and then, you know, only for him to become an all-star again next year with some other team because they clean up his command issues. So uh, if it comes to something like that, I wouldn't be opposed to getting a guy like Alec Manoa. I just think that, you know, whatever have whatever resources you have now, you got to be very, very careful with how you spend them and you have to get value per inning instead of just playing the long game and saying, okay, he was going to produce a little bit of value over the course of an inning over the course of a long set. So fingers crossed they make that swing and miss guy happen over the next couple of weeks or, you know, before the season starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just to continue the trade conversation. Like, if I'm the Cardinals right now, I'm I'm calling the, the White Sox and the Rays about Glasnow and C. So those are my top two mm-hmm. options in the trade market for a top starter. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think I would agree. And there might be someone else out there, but from what I've seen of the market, it's it's and I think we kind of all in agreement. It's, it's we're going to hang in on Yamamoto as long as we can. Um, if the White Sox or the Rays start putting some sort of deadline on on their deals around or just after the winter meetings. I'm probably going to jump at one of those, um, you know, for Glasnow or Cease. I would probably go the order that I'd want them would be Yamamoto, Glasnow, Cease is probably my three, just because of the demands that Cease would have and the contract demands and the risk of Yamamoto. Uh, the innings, they all have flaws uh, in, in acquiring them. They're not perfect acquisitions, but that's the rate that I would go. And I'd probably put the best odds on Glasnow right now. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's also interesting to factor in the teams that the Cardinals would be trading with because the Rays obviously are a really smart team. So I'd be curious to see what they're asking versus the White Sox, who I question the direction that they're taking. Yeah. So, I mean, trading for a guy like C2 has control probably means they're they're going to be asking for somebody good, but they're still, I would rather deal with the White Sox in a vacuum than with the Rays. It's just the players that we're talking about now that, that really yeah. value hedges on. Yeah, because with the White Sox, you might be able to do bulk, which the Cardinals prefer. You might be able to give up like like Carlson, for example, you know, an expendable piece to some extent, and then and then two or three, you know, minor league pieces that might have some upside. I, you know, I, 
I'm not going to necessarily name names, but yeah. someone under Roby, you know, someone under hints, you know, maybe go Jerpy, Graceffo, and um, Urias or something, not Urias, what's the, Prieto, something like that. You know, probably some other guy, uh, Pajes, or not Pajes, uh, Crooks, someone like that, you know, to kind of fill it out a little bit and make it work. So I, I think that would be a possibility with them. Whereas I think that the Rays are going to ask for whatever player it is that John Mosaic loves the most and then demand that from him until he, until he screams in pain and gives up. So that's what the Rays Um, do. Just, I guess, um, if there wasn't anything else regarding these other two pitchers, I just, if we're still on the trade discussion, yeah, go ahead. how do we feel about the Cardinals chances acquiring another hitter for the lineup? If at all, you know, Juan Soto is still in the, in the trade market, you know, and, Obviously, we're hearing a lot of Yankees, big market teams, but the Cardinals do have the prospect capital to do it. I just do we see uh, a guy like Juan Soto potentially, you know, being handed four hundred million dollars plus by the Cardinals, or what do you guys think about that? Still, maybe the Cardinals addressing the hitting market overall with anything that they have to spend. What do you guys think on that? I would say probably not on Juan Soto, just because of the the money that would have to go to him when they're still trying to fill out the rotation. Yeah, the market. I mean, I guess it depends on who the Cardinals, if they make a big trade. I think really the hitting market's going to come down. If they make a big trade, who is it going to be? And then do, do they want to backfill for who they yeah. traded away? But I don't think they're actually going to go out and make a make a move to try to improve their starting lineup at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I don't sure. think the money's there with the trade demands. Uh, like, say, for example, the only way that would work for a Juan Soto deal is if they if they ignored their number one starter, which I I don't see them doing, or they made a move for Cease because Cease cheaper. So, so you could do Cease, it would be cheaper, but then you'd have to give up a lot of talent, and then you'd have to trade for Juan Soto. Then you have to pay him a lot of money. So it's, you know, it's that would be tough. I don't see how the math works on that. Um, but you know, we also know they've been interested in the past. So you know that you can't ignore that either. I just I don't hear any buzz about that other than fans talking about it. So it makes me wonder if there's you know, just fans talking. So sure. last thing I want to do before we get out of here, um, we probably should have done it before we talked um, trade details, but that was more interesting. So I have run the, or I have run the numbers. I've got the new budget stuff. I'll probably put this on the side on Saturday. Uh, so I can get a quick article out and get back to, you know, eating um, day old Turkey. Uh, so our budget right now, the Cardinals are at one sixty two million a little less than that 161.97 million is their budget commitments right now after i took out the non-tenders and added in a couple extra minor league minimums uh, to make a 13-13 offense and pitching roster um 21.7 millions in arbitration eligible salaries uh, and that is edmund o'neill helsley carlson romero and king um as you guys know i was in favor of um non-tendering king i don't really care that they kept him it's just one million they did wood for it as long as long as one of those went because uh, it is just about millions so where they are right now with lynn in there at 10 million and gibson at 12 million not counting the performance bonuses for lens um the cardinals are at 162 i'm estimating a 192 budget so the math there is really easy they've got about 30 million more to spend if you assume which we kind of have if you assume that O'Neill is traded, you can't assume that they'll get rid of all of his salary or not take salary back. But if you if you want to cut that out to you're you're at about thirty five to thirty six million as the high end of where the Cardinals are right now, which is more than enough to sign any pitcher on the market right now, including Yamamoto. 
and leaves them enough flexibility to bring in at least one bullpen arm more if they decide to, to do a trade, which, as we said, would be our preferred way to go. So 162 is where they are. 192 is where I'm projecting. I feel pretty good about my projection. Feel really good about that. I don't. I, I think that that's a good number considering the moves they've made, the money they spent, and what they're targeting. Still, um, and so yeah, go go out there this week while you're talking with your grandpa and your uncle over turkey, and spend thirty million dollars of the Cardinals' budget your way, and see if you don't match us. You're going to end up with Glasnow. So that's the logical conclusion. Blake. Yeah, I actually love that you track the payroll because it really helps me like understand what the Cardinals might do next. And when I look at how much money they have to spend and what the gaping hole is on the roster right now, it's very clear. It's very clear, isn't it? Yeah, They should be putting somewhere between 20 to $30 million in average annual value to a top-of-the-line starting pitcher. Yeah. Uh, which actually and, has... And guess who's going to make somewhere between 25 or 20 and, and 30 Yamamoto. million? Tyler, yeah, the Yamamoto and Tyler so, Glass, no, 25 million. Yeah. And the Cardinals have put a lot of time effort and money into increasing their japanese presence they yeah. put a scout fully full-time designated to scout the npb the scout prospects over there like i wouldn't be shocked if the cardinals are heavily involved in the yamamoto market um i also think now glasnow makes sense and when i look at this i actually think dylan cease doesn't make sense nothing yeah. nothing i would even not not from a talent perspective but when we look at the money he's his arbitration projection is like eight or nine million dollars yeah i feel like if the cardinals really wanted to get c's then they wouldn't have gone and signed two back-end starters to take up 22 million dollars take the point yeah that's and a I, good point because they ended up 20 million yeah they would end up 20 million under budget and and 10 million less than last year unless yeah. they invested in a crazy reliever which they're not going to do and that would the optics of that would just be really bad. The Cardinals aren't they, don't, they wouldn't have needed to do it because you could literally then they could have just the first two signs just don't make sense. If they go they to don't. Cease. You could have gotten yeah. Cease and then gotten Yamamoto for close ish to making the money work. Yeah. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think Cease really now is is actually going to be what happens. So I think it's really down to Glasnow and, and Yamamoto, and that's me hoping that they go for guys of that caliber and not guys lower than that. And maybe yeah. Snell, like Snell fits too yeah. a little bit, but there's the qualifying sure. offer. There's, you know, the years. I of think control. Snell is just too much risk for the Cardinals between I, the inning limitations, the injury history, control, control, control the control issues. issues, the money, the qualifying offer. I just think that's too much risk for the Cardinals to take on. I agree. The only reason why I disagree is that is that Gould keeps bringing them up. So, and when, I mean, Gould kept mentioning Kyle Gibson too. So there's a reason, but he didn't mention Lance Lynn. I will say that. I mean, Gould doesn't know everything. He knows more than I do, but he doesn't know didn't know everything. Sometimes I don't think the Cardinals knew everything they're going to do. So how can Gould know? You know, um, but yeah, I mean, Snell I think is still in the picture. Um, but I think what I think Gould's point probably has just been they're going to sign someone in that class, and here are the guys that they're considering, and they're all the ones that we've been mentioning because of the something resembling logic that they that they make sense. So yeah, and if the Cardinals do end up going that route, then this offseason looks a lot better. It's still just not great because what I would I would. Depending on what the White Sox want for Cease again, like I'd rather put the eight to nine million towards Cease than the ten million towards Lynn, but at least they're getting somebody that gives some kind of ceiling to the rotation. Yeah, Adam, any final thoughts before I, I've got a really optimistic thing I want to tell everyone before we go out? But Adam, you got any final thoughts? Yeah, no, I th- I just think that was a really good point that Blake made in saying that you know, and you can kind of mentally narrow it down to kind of uh, Yamamoto and maybe a Snell or like a like a Dylan Cease, but even like when you said like Dylan Cease kind of being out of the market just simply because that you know if he's already making less 
you know, they probably would have already splurged instead of kind of spending, you know, the the foundation money on guys, you know, we're going to split by the rotation on the back end, like Lynn and the Kyle Gibson. So, you know, I think that, you know, if this means that they're going all in the, on the Yamamoto, that I think you kind of painted a clear picture that I feel like, you know, like you mentioned where, you know, they've got the scouts there. You see Newt Barr doing as much uh, recruiting as he's, you know, as he can. Um, you've seen a lot of, uh, you know, you, you see Yamamoto, you know, just have some sort of a, you know, soft spot, at least for St. Louis. And I do believe that, um, I, I really hope at least that this is going to be the guy that they're going to get just because they need, they need, they need to get that top end guy. And, you know, if it's, if they can get the best pitcher on the market, you know, if, even if they don't, if they get a snow or, you know, if, even if it's a Marcus Stroman at this point, you know, I think, you know, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I, like I said, I, I feel like it's probably going to have, I feel like at this point it's probably going to be, you know, Yamamoto, or bust. I think it's, I think if, you know, like if they don't spend the money, um, you know, like they said, like, I feel like they probably could swing that trade and the white Sox, like you mentioned, are a team that they're going to be okay having a larger prospect package instead of a one for one guy or a specific guy that they want to get. So, yeah, I think just, you know, just kind of solidifying those points overall, it's, it's gotta be ace or bust at this point. Yeah. So that's what I want to leave you with as you are traveling today or tomorrow, heading to grandma's house, heading up the road, Whatever you do, and you're going to put on the VEB podcast, and you're going to be like, guys, give me good news. And you're going to suffer through 40 minutes of us talking about Lance Lynn. And you're going to be like, no, I asked for good news. And then you're going to get the end, and you're going to hear all three of us independently say everything the Cardinals have done indicates that they are pushing all in towards Yamamoto. And that's what you all wanted this offseason. I mean, I've read the site, I know that's what all you all wanted. I can't say I ever thought it was a possibility, but my optimism about a Yamamoto signing is higher now than it's been at any point in the offseason. It's the move that makes the most sense with what they've done. Can't promise you it's going to lead them to contention. Can't promise you that Yamamoto is going to be a number one superstar ace in year one. He probably won't, but you can't even promise that they're going to sign him, but it sure looks like they're going to try. And that's something to, you know, be happy about as you head to your thanksgiving dinner so happy thanksgiving everyone be safe on your travels um you know hopefully the cardinals won't do anything else between now and the end of the weekend because we're tired of doing these articles and talking about it but uh from blake and from adam and from everyone else out there in veb land thanks for listening to us have a very happy thanksgiving and um we'll see uh, yamamoto under our trees for christmas we hope uh, have a great weekend. BBB. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.